Hey guys, it's Brie. You're listening to Brief, and this is episode one of To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. In this episode, we will be covering context, major characters, and part one of the book, which is chapters one through 11. I don't know how this happened, you guys, but I graduated college with a degree in English, and I never read To Kill a Mockingbird. I've never read it in my life until now, and I have to say it's one of the best books I've ever read. I'm obsessed. Anyway, before we get into context, we need to have a little chat about the language used in this book. Now, this book was written in 1960, well, it was published in 1960, and it's based on the South in the 1930s. So, obviously, tons of racism. So, this book uses a lot of language that we don't use anymore. For obvious reasons, I am not going to use those words. So throughout this recording, I will probably refer to it as the N-word. I don't know any other way to do it. I'm definitely not going to say it. And throughout the book, it's hard to hear. A lot of the things are really hard to hear. But they're important because they lead to Scout's eventual understanding of racism. All right, so moving on. Context and overview. To Kill Mockingbird, written by Harper Lee. Her real name is Nell Harper Lee. She was born in 1926 grew up in a small town in Monroeville, Alabama. She went to the University of Alabama and died in that same small town in 2016. She wrote To Kill a Mockingbird in 1960. Well, it was published in 1960. It was immediately successful. She won the Pulitzer Prize the next year and a lot of other awards for it, but she never wrote another book in her life. And then in 2015, a book that she wrote called Ghost Set a Watchman was published. It was originally rumored to be the sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird, but it was confirmed that it's the first draft of To Kill a Mockingbird. I haven't read it yet, but I will. The plot and characters of To Kill a Mockingbird are loosely based on Harper Lee's family and neighbors and an event that happened in her small town of Alabama when she was a child. The book deals with the South and racist Southern attitudes, especially in her small town. Harper Lee's father was a lawyer in Alabama, a small town lawyer like a main character in To Kill a Mockingbird named Atticus Finch. Her father once defended a black man and his son who were on trial for murdering a white man, and they were both found guilty and killed. That's a little overview. Now we're going to talk about major characters. There are a lot of characters in this book. There's a lot that you interact with a lot, but I'm not going to go through all of them because that seems like a lot. (laughs) So I'm just going to do the first, like the main, main few. So the main character and narrator is Scout. She was born Jean Louise Finch, but her family and friends call her Scout. She is six years old when the novel starts and she's almost nine when it ends. She's the daughter of Atticus Finch, the lawyer. She's smart and witty and curious and gets even smarter throughout the novel, and she's great. Her older brother is Jem. Is his nickname. His name is Jeremy Finch. He starts the novel out at 10 years old. He's 13 when it ends. He's super smart, just like Scout, curious, but during the novel, he grows up a ton when he starts seeing humans for what they really are. He really struggles with humans and how they treat each other. Their father's name is Atticus Finch. He's a lawyer in their small town of Maycomb, Alabama. He's a very, very good man. He's committed to stopping racial injustices, and he teaches his kids to be honest and good and to love everyone, and he's just an incredible man. He's also a widower. His wife died a long time ago. And their cook is Calpurnia. She is very strict, but she loves them and she's part of their family. And she's the kid's only real insight into the black community in their town. And then the last one, well, okay, two more. So Dill is their best friend. He comes to town every summer. And then Boo Radley, which I'm sure you've all heard of, even if you haven't read this book. His real name is Arthur Radley. He lives next door to the Finches. He's a recluse. He never comes outside. I'm not going to give anything away, but the kids try to get him to come out in the beginning. There's a lot of themes in this novel. Mostly they're just based around social inequality, uh, racial injustice, class and prejudice, justice and judgment, and then obviously educating the children about all of this is a huge theme as well. We'll talk more about those at the end of the book. 
This is part one. There's two parts. It's a long book, so bear with me. Okay, chapter one. The book opens with the narrator. Her name is Scout, and she's telling a story about her childhood. It's all about when her brother broke his arm. And looking back on the incident, she says that her and her brother discuss what they think led up to his accident. Scout says that it was the Yules that started it. It's a family. Jem thinks it started the summer that Dill came to stay and convinced them to get Boo Radley to come out of his house. So Scout starts telling us about her family history. Her ancestor, Simon, who was a fur trapper, he came from England to Mobile, Alabama. He bought three slaves and a homestead by the Alabama River, and this is where Scout's family lives now. All of the men in their family since have taken care of the homestead and lived off of what they were able to produce on their land. And it wasn't until Scout's father, Atticus Finch, and his brother both left. Atticus studied law and his brother studied medicine and neither of them live on the homestead. Atticus became a defense lawyer. His first clients were men who were hanged in the end for murder. Scout describes Maycomb as an old and tired town that is where they live. Atticus has two children, Jem and Scout. They live together with their cook, Calpurnia. And Scout says, Jem and I found our father satisfactory. He played with us, read to us, and treated us with courteous detachment. And she describes their cook, Calpurnia, as very strict. And she thinks that she likes Jem more than Scout. Their mother died when Scout was two and Jem was six. She doesn't remember it, but Jem does. She describes their neighbors and specifically the Radleys who live next door. She says their house was inhabited by an unknown entity. There's a lot of mysteries surrounding the Radleys in this neighborhood. The summer that Scout is describing is the summer that Dill comes to stay with his Aunt Rachel who lives a street over. He came from Meridian, Mississippi and they become instant friends. Dill's seven, Scout's six, and Jem is ten. Dill's full name is Charles Baker Harris and... Right off the bat, Jem decided that they were good friends when he found out that Dill had seen Dracula at a movie theater. He's like really impressed by that. So they spend the summer building a treehouse and acting out plays in their backyard. And that summer, Dill has the idea to make Boo Radley come out of the house. He's fascinated by the house and Scout tells us about the rumors surrounding Boo Radley. She says, inside the house lived a malevolent phantom. People said he existed, but Jem and I had never seen him. People said he went out at night when the moon was down and peeped in windows. When people's azaleas froze in a cold snap, it was because he breathed on them. Any stealthy crimes, like small crimes committed in Macomb were his work. The school that Jem and Scout attend backs up to the Radley house. There's a pecan tree in the Radley's backyard and the nuts would fall into the schoolyard but the kids never ate them because they were known to kill you and the narrator tells us about the history of that house the radleys were husband and wife and they had two sons may comes a small town and the radleys were not social people and the other residents of Maycomb found this very odd they were hardly ever seen they didn't go to church and nobody knew what they did the younger of the two sons got into some trouble when he was a teenager. He joined a small gang and they got into a little bit of trouble, not a ton. One day they resisted arrest and they locked up the police officer in his own jail cell. He was obviously really upset, so the boys had to go before the judge and face charges of disorderly conduct, disturbing the peace, assault and battery, and using, using profane language in the presence and hearing of a female. So the judge tells all the boys that they're going to be sent to a school out of town. It's a super good school and it's not a prison or a disgrace to be sent there. But Mr. Radley disagreed with that and he asked the judge to release his son, Arthur, who's boo, and he promised that Arthur would give him no more trouble. The other boys received an incredible education and the doors of the Radley house were closed always now. This Radley boy was not seen again for 15 years. Scout and Jem's father, Atticus, never talks much about the Radleys, so they get their information from Miss Stephanie Crawford, who is their neighbor. She's the town gossip, basically. She says that not too many years ago, the story goes that Boo was in his living room cutting pictures for a scrapbook or something, and his father came in the room, and Boo grabbed the scissors and stabbed his dad in the leg, pulled them out, wiped them off, and resumed cutting. Boo is 33 years old at this point. The sheriff comes and Mr. Radley refuses to let him take Boo to an insane asylum. 
He says Boo's not crazy. He's just high strung at times. So they lock him up in the courthouse basement for a while, but he was released eventually and taken back home. This is on page 12. It says nobody knew what form of intimidation Mr. Radley employed to keep Boo out of sight, but Jem figured that Mr. Radley kept him chained to the bed most of the time. Atticus said no, it wasn't that sort of thing, that there were other ways of making people into ghosts. By the way, Jem and Scout call their dad Atticus. They never call him dad or father or anything. They call him Atticus. So the only interaction Jem and Scout have with the Radleys is when they see Mr. Radley coming from town with his groceries and they say good morning to him and he coughs in reply but he never smiles. Then the day came where Mr. Radley was dying. They carried his body out of the house and Calpurnia, their cook, says there goes the meanest man God ever blew breath into. The kids are surprised by this because Scout says Calpurnia rarely commented on the ways of white people. After this, the older Radley brother came back to town to take care of the house and to take care of Boo. Jem tells Dill that Boo comes out in the dark, that people have seen him looking in their windows at night, Miss Stephanie especially. Scout says on page 14 that Jem gave a reasonable description of Boo. Boo was about six and a half feet tall, judging from his tracks. He dined on raw squirrels and any cats he could catch. That's why his hands were bloodstained, because if you ate an animal, you can never wash the blood off. There was a long, jagged scar that ran across his face. What teeth he had were yellow and rotten, and his eyes popped out, and he drooled most of the time. And Dill wanted to see if they could get Boo to come out of the house, and he dared Jem to try. And after a lot of persuasion, they finally decide that Jem would just go up and touch the house, and then Boo would probably come running after him. Jem finally did it, and they all ran away quickly, and nobody came after them. Okay, chapter two. The summer ended and Dill left town. Scout starts first grade and Jem is in fifth grade. Jem tells Scout not to bother him at school, especially not to ask him to reenact plays. She's initially excited to start school, but that fades quickly when she interacts with her teacher, Miss Caroline. It's her first year teaching and it shows. She is a very pretty redhead and she looks and smells like a peppermint drop. She's not a native to Macomb County, and that also shows because she doesn't understand how things work in this town. She opens up the class by reading them a book about some talking cats. And Scout says, Miss Caroline seemed unaware that the ragged, denim-shirted, and flower-sack-skirted first grade, most of whom had chopped cotton and fed hogs from the time they were able to walk, were immune to imaginative literature. That's on page 18. The first problem Scout has with Miss Caroline is about reading. Miss Caroline asks Scout to read the alphabet, is surprised to find out that she can read it, so she has her read a first grade level reading book and then out of the newspaper. Miss Caroline is not happy when she finds out that Scout can read super well and she tells Scout to ask her father not to teach her anymore because it would interfere with her reading. Scout tries to explain that her father didn't teach her how to read, she just learned on her own, but Miss Caroline gets mad and says, it's best to begin reading with a fresh mind. You tell him I'll take over from here and try to undo the damage. Your father does not know how to teach. And Scout sits there worrying the rest of the time because she reads every night with Atticus. And she says, until I feared I would lose it, I never loved to read. One does not love breathing. So at recess, Jem tells Scout that Miss Caroline is introducing a new method of teaching into the school called the Dewey Decimal System and tries to calm her down. And the next time Scout gets in trouble that day in class is when she was caught writing a letter to Dill. And the teacher says, we don't write in the first grade, we print. You won't learn to write until you're in the third grade. Scout says that Calpurnia is to blame for Scout's ability to write because she had her copy lines on rainy days. At lunchtime, Miss Caroline asks who brought lunch and who would be going home for lunch. One boy, Walter Cunningham, didn't respond and she figured he must have forgotten his lunch. So she offered him a quarter and told him to buy his lunch today and that he could repay her tomorrow. He refuses to take the money and she's looking around at the class confused and the class looks to Scout to answer. Scout tells her he's a Cunningham and assumes that that answers her question, but it doesn't. So she goes on to tell her that the Cunninghams don't take anything that they can't pay back. They don't have much, but they get along just fine. Scout reassures her teacher that she'll get to know the country folks soon. Scout tells us that the reason she knows about the Cunninghams is because her father did work for them once and they paid him not in money, but in other ways like stove wood, nuts, veggies, etc. 
Apparently, the doctor in the town works the same way, too, and allows people to who don't have money to pay him in other ways, like potatoes, for delivering a baby or whatever. Instead of trying to explain all of this to Miss Caroline, Scout just says, You're shaming him. Walter hasn't got a quarter at home to bring you, and you can't use any stove wood. Scout received a whipping for that comment six times with a ruler right on the hand in front of the class. And the class fell into a fit of laughter, and the neighboring teacher came in angry, telling Miss Caroline to get a hold of her students. Scout spends the rest of the time before lunch in the corner. Chapter 3. Scout meets Jem outside to walk home for lunch. She's in the process of shoving Walter Cunningham's face in the dirt for making her start off on the wrong foot. And Jem stops her and asks Walter if his dad is Walter Cunningham from Old Serum, and he nods. Scout describes Walter as looking as if he had been raised on fish food, and Jem invites him to come to lunch at their house. He's reluctant at first because Scout was mean to him, and because he doesn't want to owe them anything, but he finally decides to come. When they pass the Radley house, Jem tells Walter that a haint lives there. A haint is like a spooky person. Walter says he almost died his first year of school because he ate the poison pecans from the Radley trees that fell in the schoolyard. When they get to the house, Walter tells Atticus, their dad, that he wasn't able to pass the first grade because in the spring he has to help his dad with the crops. Scout said that Walter and Atticus spoke together like two grown men about crops and farms. Walter poured syrup all over his lunch, which was veggies and meat, and Scout asks him what the hell he's doing, and he gets embarrassed. And then Atticus and Calpurnia get super mad at Scout, and Calpurnia takes her into the kitchen and makes her eat in there. She tells her that there's people who don't eat like them, but you can't insult them like that because Walter is her guest, and if he wants to eat the tablecloth, you let him. Calpurnia says to her on page 27, Anybody who sets foot in this house is your company, and don't let me catch you remarking on their ways like you was so high and mighty. You folks might be better than the Cunninghams, but it don't count for nothing the way you're disgracing him. So before going back to school, Scout tells Atticus that Calpurnia is mean to her and that she likes Jem more. And Atticus tells her that Jem doesn't worry her half as much and then reminds Scout how much Cal does for her. Back at school, there's an uproar when Miss Caroline sees a bug crawling in one of the students' hair. Another student, little Chuck Little, tells her not to be afraid, it's just a cootie. And Scout tells us that he's another boy who didn't ever know where his next meal was coming from. The boy who had a cootie, his name is Burris Yule. He found it in his hair and squashed it. Remember from the beginning when Scout said she thought this all started with the Yules. So this is one of the Yule boys. Miss Caroline tells him he's excused for the rest of the day and can go home and take a bath. The boy laughs at her and tells her he did his time for this year anyway, because apparently being a Yule is special. The school is full of them and legally they must go to school. So they go to the first day of every year and then they never come again, just so the attendance lady counts them there. The other students explain this to her and tell her that she's supposed to mark him absent the rest of the year. The boy says this is his third year in a row doing this, and Miss Caroline is like, no, 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 you're staying, but he gets up and leaves anyway. By the end of school, Scout is ready to run away and never go to school again, and after dinner, Atticus asks her to come read, and Scout runs outside. She tells him what her teacher said, and then says she won't be going back to school again. Atticus tells her, you never really understand a person until you consider things from their point of view. That's on page 33. And this is how Atticus lives his life. You'll see throughout the book. He says they cannot expect her to learn all the ways of make home in one day. And Scout complains. She's like, why do I have to go to school when the Yules don't? On page 33 again, she says, Atticus said the Yules had been the disgrace of make home for three generations. None of them had done an honest day's work in his recollection. They were people, but they lived like animals. In certain circumstances, the common folk judiciously allowed them certain privileges by the simple method of becoming blind to some of the Yule's activities. They didn't have to go to school, and Bob Yule, their father, was permitted to hunt and trap out of season. This is because they knew that the dad spent his relief money on whiskey, and the children were starving, and the town obviously wanted them to be able to eat. Atticus tells Scout that they can read every night, as always, if she continues to go to school and as long as she doesn't tell her teacher that they're reading. Chapter 4. Scout describes how the public school system is totally failing her. She says, 
She was bored throughout her entire education, and the only knowledge she gained is from reading Time magazine and anything else she read at home. One day, as she walks home, she walks home alone because Jem stays in school longer than she does. So she's walking home alone, and she sees something in this little knot in the tree outside the Radley place. She slowly goes towards the tree and finds two sticks of gum, and she grabs them, runs home, licks them to make sure she won't die, and after a few minutes, she feels safe enough to eat them. When Jem gets home, he scolds her for eating something she found in the Bradley's place and doesn't believe her when she said she found them sitting in the knot in the tree. Time passes and now school is out. So they're excited that school is going to be out for the summer and they walk home together on the last day. That day, Jem and Scout both see something else in the tree outside the Bradley house. Jem obviously hadn't believed Scout until he saw it for himself. They grabbed the thing from the tree and ran home. It was a small wedding ring box that had been wrapped in tinfoil gum wrappers so that it was shiny and then they could see it. And inside were two really rare pennies. They were called Indian heads, one from 1906 and one from 1900. And they discuss who the coins could belong to and whether or not they should keep them. And Jem decides that they'll keep them until school starts. And then when they get there, they'll ask all the kids at school if they belong to anyone. Jem explains to Scout that Indian heads are special and contain magic and good luck. And he says these are real valuable to somebody. A couple days later, Dill gets into town. He came with this extravagant story about his train ride and how he rode with his dad, which by the way, he doesn't really have parents or like they're really absent. Anyway, how he rode with his dad and got to drive the train. They're trying to figure out something to play. They decide to push each other around in a giant tire. And Jem pushes Scout too hard. And she ends up in the walkway of the Radley place. And Jem is screaming at her, telling her to get out of there. But she's dizzy and doesn't know where she is. And when she realizes where she is, she runs back. But she forgot the tire. And Jem has to go back and get it. Jem decides to make up a play about the Radleys. Scout is super hesitant. They play this game all summer. It's like the story of the Radleys. So the parents, the boys getting in trouble, the trial, him stabbing him in the leg, everything. And every time an adult would pass by, including Nathan Radley, the older brother who now takes care of the house, they would pause their game so that they didn't know what they were playing. One time Atticus catches them and he knows it's about the Radleys and they lie and say no. And Scout says that they should stop doing the play and Jem says no. She says on page 45, Jem told me I was being a girl, that girls always imagined things. That's why other people hated them. So Scout tells us that Atticus getting mad isn't the only reason she wants to stop. The day that she rolled up to the Radley house in that tire, she heard, she says, a sound so low I could not have heard it from the sidewalk. Someone inside the house was laughing. Chapter 5. Scout's annoyed with Dill because he hangs out with Jem more than her now. On page 46, she says about Dill, she says, He asked me earlier in the summer to marry him. Then he promptly forgot about it. He staked me out, marked his territory, said I was the only girl he would ever love. Then he neglected me. I beat him up twice, but it did no good. He only grew closer to Jim. So Scout plays aloof because she's freaking awesome and she spends a lot of her summer with their neighbor, Miss Maudie Atkinson, sitting on her front porch. Miss Maudie is fantastic. She's a widow. She's younger than Atticus, but she lives next door or across the street. I don't, the layout of this neighborhood is really hard to understand. But Miss Maudie had always let Gem and Scout play in her yard as long as they didn't step on her azaleas. She's obsessed with her garden. And Scout likes hanging out with her because she makes the best cakes. One day, Scout asks Miss Maudie about Boo Radley. Miss Maudie corrects her, telling her that his name is Arthur and that he just stays in the house because he doesn't want to come out. Miss Maudie tells her that Arthur's father was a foot-washing Baptist. By this, she means that he believed anything that's pleasure is a sin. And some of these people even told Miss Maudie that she was a sinner for spending too much time tending her garden instead of reading the Bible. And they told her that she was going to go to hell. And Scout thinks about this and she thinks how Miss Maudie is a good person and can't believe that she'd be someone who went to hell. She tells Miss Maudie this. Miss Maudie's like, footwashers think women are sin by definition. And then Miss Maudie drops some wisdom. On page 50, she says, You're too young to understand it, but sometimes the Bible in the hand of one man is worse than a bottle of whiskey in the hand of another. There are just some kind of men who are so busy worrying about the next world, they've never learned to live in this one. 
She's freaking amazing and I love her. So Miss Maudie says that the rumors about Boo Radley are just made up and they're just superstition. And she says that Arthur Radley was nice to her when they were kids and that's all she knows. The next day, Scout discovered Jem and Dill planning something in the backyard. They reluctantly let her join in and the plan is to give Boo Radley a note by tying it to a fishing pole and dropping it in one of the open shutters. The note just politely asks him to come out. Jem was going to drop the note in and Dylan Scout were the lookouts. It was more difficult than they thought it would be and they realized too late that Atticus has walked up. He asks what they're doing and Jem tells him that they're just trying to give Boo something and Atticus tells him to stop tormenting Boo and he says, how would we like it if Atticus barged in on us without knocking when we were in our rooms at night? We were in effect doing the same thing to Mr. Radley. He told them to stay away from the house unless they were invited and to stop doing their play and making fun of him. Chapter 6. On the last night that Dill is in town for the summer, they go over to Miss Rachel's house, which is where he's staying, to hang out. Dill suggests that they go for a walk, which seemed odd because they never go for walks, and Scout quickly figured out that there was an ulterior motive. Jem and Dill planned to peek in the window with the broken shutter and see if they could see Boo Radley. She could join them or she could go home and keep her mouth shut. She asked why they decided to do it at night. And it turns out that they thought this through a lot. They decided to do it at night because nobody could see them at night. Because Atticus would be so deep in a book he wouldn't hear the kingdom coming. Because if Boo Radley killed them, they'd miss school instead of vacation. And because it was easier to see in a dark house in the dark than in the daytime. Scout protested, but Jem called her a girl, so she had no choice but to stay. So they did it. They climbed under the wire fence, walked slowly through the garden and into the Radley's backyard. They walk around the side of the house and Jem and Scout boosted Dill up so he could see through the window. He couldn't see anything in the house because the curtains were in the way. And Jem is like, we should get out of here. Dill wants to try the back window. So Jem climbs the stairs to the porch and looks through the back window. And Scout is looking at him and sees the shadow of a man with a hat on on the back of the house. And they all froze. The shadow crossed the porch, put out his arms, and then went back the way it had come and disappeared. So they run for it and they hear a shotgun blast. Jem told them to get to the schoolyard fence. He held the wire up for them. But they ran and he got stuck because nobody was holding up the fence for him and he had to shimmy out of his pants to get loose. They get to the oak tree at the school and hide behind it. And they went back to their house and casually walked to the street to see the commotion so that they wouldn't cause suspicion. Nathan Radley is out in the street holding a shotgun and Miss Maudie told the kids that Mr. Radley shot a black man in his garden but missed. Then they notice that Jem isn't wearing any pants and Scout makes up a lie that she won them from him in strip poker. Dill made up the part about strip poker. Scout didn't know what that was. And the adults believe them, and they, but they're appalled that they would play with cards. And Jem explained that they'd been playing with matches, not cards. Scout says, I admired my brother. Matches were dangerous, but cards were fatal. Atticus told them to go back to Dill's and get his pants and then go to bed. And they had no idea how they were going to get those pants back. But they take Dill home, and as they walk away, Dill ran back outside of the house. Scout says, evidently, he remembered he was engaged to me, and then he kissed her in front of Jem and told her to write him. In the middle of the night, Jem gets up and tells Scout he's going back to get his pants. She argues with him, but he won't listen to her, so she watches for him to return through the window. He finally comes back, held his pants up to show that he got them, and went to sleep. But Scout could see that he was trembling. Chapter 7. Jem didn't speak much after that night. He, he wasn't doing super well. And Scout left him alone about it because she knew she'd feel the same if she were him. She's in second grade now and she doesn't like it very much, but she gets to walk home with Jem now, so that makes her happy. One day on their way home from school, Jem tells her that he didn't tell her something that happened that night when he went back for his pants. When he left them, his pants were stuck and tangled in the fence and he couldn't get them out. But when he went back for them that night, they were folded neatly and laying over the fence like they were expecting him. And they were patched up, sewn back together, not super well, but they were sewn back together. He's clearly freaked out by this. And he says, it was like somebody was reading my mind, like somebody could tell what I was going to do. They walk by the tree with the knot in it and there's some gray twine in it. Scout says they should leave it for a few days in case it's someone's hiding place. And if it's still there in a few days, they can take it. 
It's still there on the third day, and from then on, anything that they found left in the knot of that tree, they considered their property. Scout obviously doesn't like school. She doesn't learn anything. And Jem assures her that he didn't learn anything until sixth grade and that it gets better. In October, they find something weird in the tree. It's two bars of soap that have been carved into images of them, one of a boy and one of a girl. Jem says he's never seen any carvings that good. And as they look at them, Scout sees their like perfect images of them. They discuss who could have been the artist, one that would be able to see the kids a lot and get their images right. Next, they find a pack of gum and then a medal someone won from a spelling bee contest years ago. Next, they find a pocket watch that doesn't run. Jem tries and fails to fix it. And so Jem suggests that they write to this person and leave a note. He's acting weird and Scout doesn't know why, but he's nervous and excited and a little bit scared because at this point, Jem is thinking that it's Boo Radley, but he doesn't tell that to Scout. They write a note just saying thanks, and they sign it, and the next day they go to put it in the tree, but the knot has been filled in with cement. Jem waits for Mr. Radley to walk by and asks if he filled it up, and he says yes he did because the tree's dying, and that's what you do to a tree when it's sick. Jem goes to Atticus and asks him if that tree looks like it's dying, and he says no, it looks very healthy. And Jem stays on the porch watching the tree all night. And when he comes inside, it's clear that he's been crying. Seems like he knows that the gifts were coming from Boo and he's sad now that they've ended. Chapter 8. The winter is the worst that they've had since 1885. Mrs. Radley died from natural causes, though the kids suspected foul play, obviously. They wake up to snow one morning and Scout thinks that the world is ending because she's never seen snow but they get a snow day from school. Jem and Scout decide that they want to make a snowman, but the snow is more slush than snow and there's not a lot of it, so they take all the snow from Miss Maudie's yard and bring it to theirs. Then Jem digs up a bunch of dirt and takes it to the front yard and builds a snowman out of dirt, and then they cover it with snow so it looks like a snowman. Jem builds it into the perfect shape of Mr. Avery, their neighbor, and Atticus said on page 76, I didn't know how you were going to do it, but from now on, I'll never worry about what will become of you, son. You'll always have an idea. And Jem was super happy at this compliment. It was extremely cold that night, and they slept with all the fires on in the house. At 1 a.m., they were woken up by Atticus. Miss Maudie's house was on fire. Atticus took them down in front of the Radley house and told them to stay out of the way while he went to help. He said to stay in front of the gate in front of the Radley house. Jem asked if they should clear out their own house, and Atticus said not yet. The fire truck was too cold to start, so men were pushing it from town to Miss Maudie's house. The townsmen were going in and out of the house, taking what furniture they could get out of it. Mr. Avery was throwing things out of the window on the second floor, and the men told him to get out quick because the stairs were falling. He climbed out of the window and slid off the porch into the bushes. The men were all backing away from the house now, and the entire house was in flames. A fire engine from a neighboring town came up. The fire truck sprayed the Finch house with water to prevent it from catching fire. As things died down, they finally went home, and Atticus made them hot chocolate. He asked where Scout got the blanket that was around her, thinking that they had disobeyed his orders and left where they were supposed to be standing in front of the Radley place. Neither of the kids could figure out where the blanket had come from. Jem was telling Atticus that they didn't move an inch. He's like, we were right there in front of the Radley place the entire time. But we saw Mr. Radley helping with the fire, so... And then he realizes that it must have been Boo. And Atticus says... That's all right, son. Looks like all of Maycomb was out tonight in one way or another. And he suggests that they wrap the blanket and return it the next day. Jem freaks out, thinking that Atticus is going to get Boo in trouble, and tells him everything that they did. (laughs) The night that he lost his pants, finding them sewn, all the gifts, Mr. Radley filling the hole in the tree, blah, blah, blah. He says on page 81, Atticus, I swear to God, he ain't never harmed us. He ain't never hurt us. He could have cut my throat from ear to ear that night, but he tried to mend my pants instead. He ain't ever hurt us. And Atticus gently tells him it's all right and that he's right. They should keep the blanket to themselves so they won't get anyone in trouble. And he says, Scout, maybe someday you can thank him for covering you up. And Scout asks who they're talking about. (laughs) It's Boo Radley. 
The next day, they sleep in and don't go to school, but Calpurnia tells them to clean up the front yard. They return Miss Maudie's hat that they had used for the snowman, and they tell her that they're sorry for her house. And she seems to be fine and in good spirits and tells them that she wanted a smaller house anyway so she could have a bigger yard. And she tells them she doesn't know how it caught fire, but she thinks maybe it was her kitchen. She asks Scout about the unexpected company that kept her warm last night, Atticus must have told her. And they offer to help Miss Maudie with her yard, but she tells them that she's just fine. Chapter 9. Scout almost gets into a fight with a boy at school because he calls Atticus, well, he says that Atticus defends black people, but he says the N-word. She asks Atticus about it and he says, of course I do, but don't say the N-word, Scout. That's common, which common is another word for vulgar in the way that he is using it. She tells him that everyone at school says that word and he tells her from now on it'll be everybody less one. Atticus explains to her that he's taken on a case for a black man named Tom Robinson. The case is going to be tough and he knows that he won't win it, but he has to take it on anyway. He couldn't hold his head up high if he didn't. He says that every lawyer gets at least one case that affects him personally and this is his and if the kids hear any ugly talk about it at school, they're to keep their heads held high and not engage in any fights. Scout asks why he's taking the case if he knows he's going to lose. He says, simply because we were licked 100 years before we started is no reason for us not to try to win. The next day, Scout walked away from a fight with the same boy at school, even when he called her a coward. She felt noble walking away and doing what Atticus had asked her to do. And then she says, Christmas came and disaster struck. Jem and Scout looked forward to their Uncle Jack coming to stay for the week, but they didn't like spending Christmas Day at Finch Landing with their other family. This is something that they did every year. The family that lives there is Aunt Alexandra, her husband Jimmy, and their grandchild Francis. Francis was a year older than Scout, and she despised him. Aunt Alexandra was Atticus's older sister. Aunt Alexandra is Atticus's older sister. So they meet Uncle Jack at the train station. He's a doctor. Scout had taken to cursing around Atticus in an effort to get him to take her out of school because she was learning bad things. And after she said damn at dinner, Uncle Jack pulled her aside and told her he didn't want to hear her swear ever again. He said, you want to grow up to be a lady, don't you? To which Scout replies, not particularly. Christmas morning, they received their gifts from Atticus. They were air rifles that they had asked for. And then they go to Finch Landing. Scout describes the house her ancestor Simon built. There's only one staircase that led to the daughter's bedrooms, and it was located in Simon's own bedroom. So he always knew the hours of his daughters, which is so creepy. Jem, because he's getting older and thinks he's cool, joins the adults when they arrive and leaves Scout to entertain Francis. He was eight and he slicked back his hair. Scout says talking to Francis gave her the sensation of settling slowly to the bottom of the ocean. He was the most boring child I ever met. Francis tells his grandmother everything that Scout does wrong, and she gets on Atticus's case about it. On page 92, the only time I ever heard Atticus speak sharply to anyone was when I once heard him say, Sister, I do the best I can with them. Jim and Francis are both allowed to sit at the adult table during dinner and Scout is left to sit alone at the kid table because Aunt Alexandra does not like her. But she says that Auntie was such a good cook that it made up for all the bad things. After dinner, Scout tells Francis that she and Dill are going to get married as soon as they're big enough. Francis tells her that he knows about Dill, that Aunt Alexandra told him that Dill doesn't have a home and that he gets bounced from relative to relative. Scout gets upset, tells him that that's not true, and he calls her dumb. He tells her that Atticus is causing problems for the family, defending black people, and he calls him an N-word lover, which is a phrase used so often in this book, and I hate it, but he calls him an N-word lover multiple times, and he runs away from Scout. Scout, of course, gets in trouble because Francis was hiding from her in the kitchen where he doesn't belong. Francis continued to taunt Scout and softly said again when they were alone that Atticus was an N-word lover. Scout punched him in the teeth and Uncle Jack comes out, grabs Scout before she can do any more damage. Francis lies and says that Scout called him a whore lady and punched him. Scout tries to dispute it, but Uncle Jack won't listen and she tells him that she hates him and she runs away. Back at home, Uncle Jack comes to see her and she tells him that he doesn't understand kids. 
She says that Atticus always hears her and Jem's sides of the stories before deciding what to do. Scout tells him what Francis said. Uncle Jack is super mad when he finds out and says he's not going to let it go and will tell his sister and whip Francis for it. But Scout begs him not to because she promised Atticus she wouldn't fight with anyone who spoke badly about him. Jack cleans up her hand and says that she'll have an unladylike scar on her wedding ring finger. And Scout asks him what a whore lady is. Later that night, Scout hears Atticus and Jack talking about how Jack will never get married because then he might have children. Atticus tells him he has a lot to learn, and Jack tells him Scout gave him a lesson today, but doesn't tell him Scout's side of the story, and Scout's happy that he didn't break his promise to her. Jack defends her by saying she doesn't understand what she's saying and asked him what a horror lady was, but he gave her the story about Lord Melbourne instead. Because he, yeah, he didn't explain to her what a horror lady is. And Atticus tells him when a child asks you a question, you have to answer. They can tell when you're dodging a question better than adults can. He says bad language is a phase all kids go through until they realize that they're not getting attention for it. And Atticus is worried about her and Jem having to endure the things that are going to come about from this trial. Jem's old enough to understand, but Scout is hot-headed and he's worried that she'll fight back. Jack asks him about the case and Atticus says, It could be worse, Jack. The only thing we've got is a black man's word against the Yules. He says he's hoping he can jar the jury and maybe they can appeal, but he doesn't know what he should do. He says on page 101, you know what's going to happen as well as I do, Jack, and I hope and pray I can get Jem and Scout through it without bitterness, and most of all, without catching Maycomb's usual disease. Why reasonable people go stark raving mad when anything involving a black man comes up is something I don't pretend to understand. I just hope that Jem and Scout come to me for their answers instead of listening to the town. Atticus notices Scout listening and tells her to go to bed, and years later, Scout realizes that Atticus had said all of this, wanting her to hear it. Okay, chapter 10. So, Scout talks about how Atticus is older than most of her schoolmates' parents. He's almost 50. She talks about how he's not like the other parents either. He doesn't do the same activities. He just works and reads, and that's what he does. Word got around the school that Scout wasn't fighting anymore. And that brought on more people saying mean things about her family, trying to taunt her and get her to fight them. So Atticus wasn't a fan of guns. And when the kids learned to use their air rifles, he told them, I'd rather you shoot at tin cans in the backyard, but I know you'll go after birds. Shoot all the blue jays you want if you can hit them. But remember, it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. Scout had never heard her father say anything was a sin, so she asked Miss Maudie about it. She tells Scout that mockingbirds never do anything to bother anyone else. They just sing. They don't eat the plants in their gardens or hurt anyone. They just sing. So killing a mockingbird is like killing something so innocent. Okay, Scout talks about how their neighborhood is full of older people, and Miss Maudie tells her that she's lucky. She says, you and Jem have the benefit of your father's age. If your father was 30, you'd find life quite different. Miss Maudie realizes that Scout is almost ashamed of Atticus because she doesn't think he does anything or is good at anything. And she tells her that he's the best checkers player in town. He also plays the harp. Anyway, they talk about it for a while, and Miss Maudie says that she should be proud of him. Scout and Jem went out hunting one day, and Jem stopped when they saw a dog named Tim Johnson. He's Harry Johnson's dog. And Jem stops and says he's walking funny, and then they run home to tell Calpurnia. He seems really concerned about it. She goes to look and knows right away that it's a mad dog, meaning that it's rabid. This dog has rabies and that he's dangerous. So she calls Atticus and tells the operator to alarm the neighborhood. And the Radleys don't have a phone, so Calpurnia runs over to tell them. She bangs on the door and yells, but no one answers. Atticus arrives with the sheriff. His name is Heck Tate. And they all go inside the house. When the dog gets close enough, the sheriff tells Atticus to shoot the dog. They fight about it for a while, and the sheriff says he doesn't shoot as well as Atticus, and Atticus says he hasn't shot a gun in 30 years. Finally, Atticus takes the gun, walks into the road, and as soon as the dog sees him, he leaps for him, but Atticus is too quick, and he killed him before the dog even knew what happened. The sheriff goes to look at the dog and tells Atticus he hit him almost directly between the eyes, just a little to the right. And Jem and Scout are shocked. They have no idea how their father just shot a rabid dog between the eyes. Jem tries to ask him about it, but Jem later says, Did you see him, Scout? Did you see him standing there? 
and all of a sudden he just relaxed all over and it looked like that gun was part of him. He did it so quick like, I have to aim for 10 minutes before I can hit something. Miss Maudie tells them later that Atticus was the deadest shot in Maycomb County in his day. And Jem and Scout wonder why he never told them this and why he doesn't hunt anymore. And Miss Maudie says, if your father's anything, he's civilized in his heart. Marksmanship is a gift of God, a talent. Oh, you have to practice to make it perfect, but shooting's different from playing the piano, I think. Maybe he put his gun down when he realized that God had given him an unfair advantage over most living things. I guess he decided he wouldn't shoot till he had to, and today he had to. That's on page 112. Scout says that she thinks he should be proud of it, and Miss Maudie says people in their right minds never take pride in their talents. Jem tells Scout not to tell their friends at school about it because obviously Atticus doesn't like people to know. He says if he was proud of it, he'd have told us. It's something you wouldn't understand. Atticus is real old, but I wouldn't care if he couldn't do anything. Atticus is a gentleman just like me. And this is when Scout starts getting annoyed with Jem because he's starting to get older and mature more and act like he's way smarter than her. Chapter 11. Scout tells us about a neighbor down the street named Mrs. Dubose. I'm going to call her Dubose. I don't know how you say it. Scout doesn't like her. Neither does Jem. She lives two houses up the street. She's super old. A black girl lives with her and takes care of her, and she spends most of her day in a bed or a wheelchair. She says on page 115, Jem and I hated her. If she was on the porch when we passed, we would be raked by her wrathful gaze, subjected to ruthless interrogation regarding our behavior and given melancholy predictions on what we would amount to when we grew up, which was always nothing. Apparently, she said mean things to them all the time and told them it was a shame their father never remarried. She talks about their mom and says, and a lovelier lady than your mother never lived. And it was heartbreaking the way Atticus Finch let her children run wild. Jem was often mad at the things she said, especially about their mother, but Atticus told him to hold his head up and be a gentleman. So one day on Jem's birthday, he and Scout head to town to spend his birthday money. They pass Mrs. Dubose's house and she attacks them as always with rude insults. She tells Scout that she'll grow up to be a waiter, which terrifies Scout. And then Mrs. Dubose mentions Atticus, lying for black men. She says lying for N-words. And Jem is hot with anger. She says, what has this world come to when a finch goes against his raising? Your father's no better than the N-words and trash he works for. So Jem and Scout are super pissed. They walk away as she continues to yell at them, and this is the first time Scout had heard an adult say something rude about her father, and especially an adult saying something about her father being a defense attorney for this black man. So they go to the store, and on the way back, Jem takes Scout's baton, goes crazy on Mrs. Dubot's yard, cutting off all the tops of her bushes, just like totally wrecking it. When Atticus found out, he made Jem go back and talk to Mrs. Dubot's they wait for Jem to get home and Atticus tells Scout that it's only going to get harder for them this summer. On page 120 he says, Scout, when summer comes you'll have to keep your head about far worse things. It's not fair for you or Jem, I know that, but sometimes we have to make the best of things. And the way we conduct ourselves when the chips are down, well, all I can say is when you and Jem are grown, maybe you'll look back on this with some compassion and some feeling that I didn't let you down. This case, Tom Robinson's case, is something that goes to the essence of a man's conscience. Scout, I couldn't go to church and worship God if I didn't try to help that man. And after Scout tells him that everyone thinks he's wrong and they're right, he says, The one thing that doesn't abide by majority rule is a person's conscience. Jem finally comes back. He cleaned up her yard and told her he'd try to make her bushes and flowers grow back. He said, I told her that I was sorry, but I'm not. And Atticus tells him there's no point in saying sorry if you're not. But part of his punishment and apology is that he now has to go read to Mrs. Dubose for two hours every day for a month. And Atticus tells him that he has to do it. Scout, of course, goes with him to Mrs. Dubose to read, even though she doesn't have to. When they first get there, Mrs. Dubose is lying on a bed in the living room and looks like death. Jem brought Ivanhoe to read to her, and she corrected him whenever he made mistakes. Scout describes the way that she looks as horrible. She says her skin was the color of a dirty pillowcase and she was always drooling. After Jem had been reading for a while, Scout noticed that Mrs. Dubose had stopped correcting him. 
She seemed to be having a sort of fit and her mouth was moving, but she was making no sound. And then an alarm sounds and her nurse comes back in the room and tells the kids that it was time to leave. It was time for Mrs. DuBose to take her medicine. They had no idea what happened, but they went home and they told Atticus about it later. This became a pattern. They'd arrive, Jem would read, she'd correct him, eventually she would start having a fit, the alarm would sound, and they'd be told to leave. Mixed in there were the obvious insults about them, about Atticus. Scout asks Atticus what an N-word lover is one night after being at her house and tells her that's what people call him. And then she admits that's why she beat up Francis at Christmas too. On page 124, Atticus says, Scout, N-word lover is just one of those terms that don't mean anything like snot-nosed. It's hard to explain. Ignorant, trashy people use it when they think somebody's favoring black people over and above themselves. It's slipped into usage with some people like ourselves when they want a common, ugly term to label somebody. Scout says, oh, so you're not one. And he says, I certainly am. I do my best to love everybody. It's never an insult to be called what somebody thinks is a bad name. It just shows you how poor that person is. It doesn't hurt you. So the reading days got longer and longer. One day, Atticus came over because it was later than the kids normally stayed, and Mrs. DuBose smiles at him and told him that the alarm was set for 5.30, and at the moment, it was 5.14. She wanted him to know that, and you'll find out what that means soon. The kids realized that every day they'd been staying a little bit longer, and that the alarm would sound later and later, sometimes when she was well into a fit. She tells Atticus that it'll only be about a week longer of Jem reading to her, and Jem, when they walk home, protests to this because that's a week longer than they had agreed, but Atticus tells him that he will do it a week longer. The next week, the alarm never sounded, but she would send them home herself eventually, and finally she told them one day that was enough and that their time with her was done. About a month later, Atticus was called to Mrs. Dubot's house and was there for a long time. When he came back, he told Jem that she had died. He told Jem that she had been addicted to morphine because a doctor put her on it years ago. The fits were because she was trying to get clean before she died because she didn't want to die an addict. Every day the alarm was longer and longer, right? She's And then she would give her the morphine. So she was just slowly weaning herself off of it. On 127, Atticus says, Most of the time you were reading to her, I doubt if she heard a word you said. Her whole mind and body were concentrated on that alarm clock. If you hadn't fallen into her hands, I'd have made you go read to her anyway. It may have been some distraction. Jem asks if she died free, and Atticus says yes, that she had died and she wasn't an addict anymore, and that she had left a gift for Jem. It was a perfect camellia flower, which is the flower bushes that he destroyed. And Jem gets upset and he says, old hell devil, why can't she leave me alone? Atticus comforts him and says, I think this was her way of telling you everything's all right now, Jem. Everything's all right. And Jem doesn't understand how Atticus can defend her after all of the bad things she said about him. On 128, Atticus says, by the way, I read all of these quotes by Atticus because I freaking love him and he's amazing. But anyway, 128, Atticus says, She had her own view about things, a lot different than me, maybe. Son, I told you that if you hadn't lost your head, I'd have made you go read to her. I wanted you to see something about her. I wanted you to see what real courage is, instead of getting the idea that courage is a man with a gun in his hand. It's when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyway, and you see it through no matter what. You rarely win, but sometimes you do. Mrs. DuBose won, all 98 pounds of her. According to her views, she died beholden to nothing and nobody. She was the bravest person I ever knew. So Jem picks up the flower and holds it in his hands. Okay, guys, that's it. For this episode, we finished part one. And there's two more episodes for To Kill a Mockingbird. It's kind of a longer book. So it's a three-episode book. And you can go listen to those other two episodes on iTunes or Spotify. And go follow our Instagram account so you can know when I post new books.